is that all the representations go away. All bets are off. You're just ignorant. And the monkey might expect you, or Danny in this case, might expect you to look on the moon because you don't actually know where the object is. And so this was surprising to us because it wasn't the kind of result we expected. Um, and as we followed up on this, it turns out that the monkey system uh, for thinking about how we act seems to, again, not have any representation of others' beliefs, but seems to be relatively sophisticated in its own right. The first thing we've learned is that it seems to take into account uh, what other individuals' inferences are. And this is work not by me, but Mike Tomasello and his colleagues looking at the kinds of simple inferences you might make about where a piece of food is hidden. So they did this clever experiment with chimpanzees where they had a delicious piece of food that they hid behind a screen. And when they lifted the screen, there were two pieces of cloth on the table, one that was totally flat and one that was beveled exactly in the shape of the food. And they asked, can chimpanzees smartly make the inference that the food has to be hidden under the beveled thing? The answer is yes. Not so surprising, chimpanzees are pretty smart. The surprising thing is that chimpanzees can also represent in another chimpanzee that same inference. So if they watch a different individual have this test where they see a piece of food hidden, one is upright, they have the same intuition that the chimpanzee should search in that spot. The second, even more surprising thing we found is that the way the monkeys seem to shut off their inference about whether you have visual access or whether you have knowledge seems to actually be pretty sophisticated and seems to not bear on what you might expect from behavior. And so here's this test that we ran. Again, one of these situations, Danny would be watching me hiding different objects. You'd watch as I hid the object in this location, and just as I couldn't see, it popped right out and went right back in. So all the features of the world should tell you where am I going to reach, I should reach over here. But this is not what we find in the non-human primates. What we find is that they, again, say, well, you lost your visual access, you should be ignorant, you could search on the moon. So even though all these features of the world are telling them the way we should behave, we seem to have this interesting disconnect. So why am I telling you all this stuff? First, I think we're finally getting some important insight into this age-old question that Premack and Woodruff gave us um, about whether or not other animals are mentalists. And I think the answer is that they don't seem to have representations of other, others' false beliefs, but they might not be as tied to behavior as we thought in the first place. The second insight, and the reason I think this bears importantly on human nature, is it seems like we have a phylogenetically old system to track information about individuals' visual access that seems to be present in monkeys, and we have no idea yet whether or not it's present in humans as well. By 15 months of age, babies seem to be tracking other individuals' false beliefs, but this raises this question of whether or not they have this other same system that's going on under the surface that's also tracking this visual access too. And I think that makes some interesting predictions about whether you get some disconnects between cases of these two systems, cases where uh, what you're tracking with this sort of phylogenetically earlier system tells you something different. Um, and I think those kinds of questions would be very interesting to explore and might redefine the way we're thinking about how other animals track other minds. Um, so that sort of set of questions, number one, um, which I in part wanted to tell you because I think uh, Mike Tomasella should win the Nobel Prize, and that sort of made my vote. Um, the second set of studies I wanted to tell you about I think are even more relevant for some of the stuff we've already talked about. Because I think in some ways they fall out of this case of us being a species that has a phylogenetically relatively recent system for representing others' beliefs. And the possibility, I think, is that when, you, when natural selection builds in new systems, they tend to be a little bit kludgy, and they might actually have some, some problems inherent in them. And so this raises the question of how we deploy our, our systems for representing others' beliefs. How is it that we look out into the world and think that Danny might have a certain belief about something, but he's ignorant about something else? How quickly do we deploy these things? And there's a couple different options. One is that we're kind of cognitively lazy. 
We should only deploy these kinds of, of complicated systems in these cases where we really, really need to. So if Josh were to give me some complicated moral scenario about some guy knew something, but somebody had another belief, I would have to turn on all this machinery to make sense of it. But I shouldn't be kind of doing it haphazardly just when there are kind of random things around the screen. The second set of results I want to tell you is that it seems like that's not actually the case. It seems like there might be some interesting automaticity to the extent to which we turn on our mind reading abilities. And it seems like this automaticity might be different in non-human animals. And so this comes from a study uh, that came out by uh, Agnes Kovacs and her colleagues recently uh, in Science, where she was asking again about the automaticity with which we start thinking about another individual's beliefs. And it must have been the most boring study ever for subjects to do, because what it involved is just a subject, say Danny in this case, is just tracking an object that's moving behind an occluder. And all Danny's task was is to say when the object fell behind the occluder and the occluder went away, does he think the object is there or not? Just a basic visual detection task. And of course, since we're tricky cognitive scientists, what we'll do is have some trials in which the object looked like it went back there, but when the screen falls, it's gone, right? And of course, even though Danny is a fantastically smart person, he's going to make errors and be slower when I mess with him in that way. And that's just what you find. No surprise there. The question is what happens in the case where there's another individual who happens to also be watching the scene, who has a different perspective than you do, who might even have a different belief about what you're seeing than you do. And the way Kovacs and colleagues tested this was to put a cartoon Smurf head on the screen. So the Smurf is on the screen while Danny's just doing this task. It's completely incidental. Subjects know the Smurf doesn't matter at all. But it sometimes shares Danny's belief. Sometimes it sees it go back there just like Danny, and then the screen drops and it's gone. And sometimes it actually has a different belief. Sometimes it turns away at this critical moment where the object moves. And the question was, even though this is a cartoon Smurf, even though it's completely incidental from the task, does it affect the way Danny responds? And I think the surprising answer is yes. What you find is that if the Smurf thought something was back there, even in the case where Danny didn't, he speeded up. So he doesn't take a reaction time cost for a belief that he would have had that was false. There's another individual in the scene who has that belief. What does this mean? Well, it means a couple mm -hmm. things. One is that we might be implicitly tracking the perspectives and beliefs of a variety of other individuals around us. Um, this is the thing that Ian Apperley and his colleagues um, have referred to as ultra-centric interference. We might be getting this interesting interference by other people's beliefs, other people's contents, even though we know them to be different from our own. Um, why am I, as a comparative person, telling you this? Well, we've recently been able to run a study like this in non-human primates. And what we find is that the monkeys are a lot more rational than people in this sense. They don't seem to be automatically computing other individuals' visual perspective, and they don't seem to get messed up. In this sense, the monkeys react as though if they saw the object back there, it's back there. If they didn't, it didn't. Okay? What are the implications for some of this stuff? Well, I really wish Fiery was still here, because one of the implications, I think, is that we might have automatic systems for tracking what other individuals know, and speculatively I can extend this to what other people intend, what other people's attitudes are, and so on. These things might deploy automatically and be relatively under the hood in a way that we might not expect. But that's exactly the kind of mechanisms you might need for the sorts of uniquely human things Fiery was talking about, namely things like social learning, namely things like uh, picking up on others' reinforcement histories, all the kinds of things that humans do that we think of as unique might rely on this kind of kludgy mechanism where we just get interference with the contents of our own mental states versus somebody else's. Um, is this really true? Can we see any data that something like this might really be happening? And this is a sort of extra third line of comparative studies that are coming out that I'll tell you about, um, which is some interesting work on the cases in which other animals can socially learn from us. 
and cases in which humans might uh, learn from others in a way that's less rational than other animals. Um, so one of the, the leftovers, uh, empirical results from the 1990s, is often folks think that other animals can't imitate. That's not true. They can actually uh, follow our own actions and imitate, but they tend to do it in relatively select situations. What are those situations? Well, it tends to be situations in which they themselves don't know how to do something. So if you give chimpanzees an opaque puzzle box and they have no idea how to open it, what they will do is they will watch how you open it and they will follow exactly what you do. If you give, in contrast, chimpanzees a transparent puzzle box and they can kind of figure it out, they just go on the basis of what they know. The critical question is, what I've just told you predicts that humans might do worse at this task. And this is what Vicki Horner and Andy White tested, where they gave these opaque puzzle boxes and transparent puzzle boxes to chimpanzees and children. And they gave them a demonstrator who wasn't a smart demonstrator, but who was doing something dumb. So imagine you see a puzzle box, you don't know how it works, but you see me take a tool and I probe into the top of the puzzle box in this little opening, and then I use the tool to open up a door in the front and I take candy out. What you do is you then give this to children and chimpanzees, it's an opaque box, they don't know how this works, they do exactly what the human demonstrator did, they probe in the top and use it to open. Now the critical test is you bring out a transparent box and you can see that the box is just empty. All you could do is open the door and there's the candy. <laughs> but you see this demonstrator who painstakingly sticks a tool in the top opens a thing. What do you do? Well, chimpanzees just cut to the chase. They just open the door and take the food. What do human four-year-olds do? They slavishly copy exactly what they've <laughs> seen the human do. And you might think, well, the kid doesn't want to you know, annoy the human adult who's just been teaching them. Uh, a graduate student at Yale, Derek Lyons, did a whole variety of control conditions to show it's not that the kids think that this is normative. It's that watching an adult demonstrator has changed the way the kids think about the causal mechanism of this box. They think somehow, I don't know the causal mechanism, but you have to do this thing at the top or else you can't open it. Um, this is very profound. And again, it suggests that in some ways, animals in their non-interference across mental states might be more rational than us. But I think this provides a powerful mechanism for teaching, a powerful mechanism for the kinds of reward structures that Fiery's talked about, and potentially a, a, a powerful mechanism to solve the chicken and egg problem that I was uh, uh, asking Nick about earlier which is if we want to know why these crazy things transmit through networks, things like our attitudes or our, whether or not we smoke or whether or not we're obese and so on, it might be that if we're constantly walking around automatically having interference between other people's attitudes and beliefs, that's a really easy way for just being around some friend to transmit these kinds of things. Um, all of the stuff I talked to you about at the end has been pretty speculative, but this is exactly the reason I want to talk about this stuff in front of you guys. Um, I'm not sure if we've followed John's marching orders to get deep insight into human nature just yet, but I think these new kinds of findings where we're seeing differences are pointing us to new directions, not just in the ways that humans might be unique cognitively, but the way these different cognitive mechanisms might play out in a broader context to allow us to do all kinds of uniquely human things like culture and so on. And so I hope just to kind of round out the discussion we had uh, last night at dinner, I hope I've posed some interesting new questions for you, given you some zany speculation, and talked to you about some spots where the jury is still out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my bumper sticker these days is uh, competence without comprehension. Mm -hmm. The idea is that human comprehension is built up out of competences which are themselves relatively uncomprehending. And the Whiten result fits beautifully into that in that the, it even permits you to speculate mm -hmm. that it's an adaptation for cultural transmission that 
we are we ape more than apes do. Yep. Uh, and this opens the gates for all sorts of advanced techniques that we can acquire and and then have in our toolkit that we don't yet have to understand. They, yep. they, they bring us benefits, and then we can build other things out of them, but we're not, we don't require any level of comprehension in order to take them on. Mm -hmm. And then they can help us uh, uh, develop comprehension later. Yeah, although I think with, with the, some of the other over-imitation results, you might need to amend the bumper sticker to competence, not comprehension, but then later comprehension. Because I think the powerful thing about some of these results is not just that the kids follow the behavior, it's that they develop rich causal explanations based on the fact that somebody had an intent to do something. Yeah. And so this is the thing I find most fascinating, is it's not just the behavioral transmission. What goes with it when you see an intentional human do something is the fact that it must have been done for a reason. There must be this explanation. And kids, based on this social input, are completely willing to override the physics. Um, one of the powerful uh, results that Derek has is he, he asks the kid how this object, he asks separate children how this object works, and all of them are sharp enough to exactly know the physics of how this object works. You see a human do a dumb thing on this object, this kind of uh, strange thing that you wouldn't do. And all of the kids override what they saw before, not just that you have to do it, but that this is how the object causally works. And they spin a ton of different interesting stories that don't make any physical sense to come up with how this works. So it's not, it's not just that you can get these things without comprehension, but seeing it builds in a comprehension that may or may not be accurate yeah. based on your, your knowledge. I think that you saying now that prompts the thought in me and that was also prompted by something June said earlier today was, of course, experimentally, these are, these are fascinating things, right, to think about the way you're describing them. And the experiments are so fiendishly clever, like it makes me want to switch fields and, like, do these experiments. I mean, just amount of thought and creativity in making them. And, of course, when we do experiments, we isolate down to particular actions and so forth. So, but maybe it's the case that while it's seemingly, quote, unquote, irrational for the baby to behave this way in this clear puzzle box, in aggregate, it's better for the organism to do what the adults do. So, it, and of course, you know, it's like genes in competition, right? I mean, you can have, you know, quote-unquote dysfunctional genes. Or uh, emotions earlier we were talking about. I mean, there may be ways in which across time, it makes no sense for you to be happy when the world is collapsing when we look at a single packet of time. But maybe on average, in fact, across time, maybe it's good for you to feel happy no matter what's happening. I don't know. I'm making that up. Mm -hmm. But the point is... If you expand your horizon, maybe it's no longer as crazy. I mean, right. maybe it's just my resistance to not wanting to think that chimps are smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. right. But, uh, uh, you know, when you describe it as like they're behaving more rationally, yes, in this particular case, yeah. but maybe more generally, that's a price we pay. Right. for. So it makes a prediction about the, the kind of extended phenotype in which we humans find ourselves in, which is that uh, the social information we get is often pretty accurate. Right, that the pedagogy and sometimes we get, led astray, yeah. and sometimes we can get led astray. Um, and for the kinds of physical environments where we, at least as modern humans, find ourselves in, that's for sure true. Right? If I if I were just to use my lay naive physical intuitions to try to figure out this iPad, I would be completely screwed. But as soon as Josh like hits one button and does it, then I have insight into this. Um, and uh, when 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 Derek Lyons talks about some of these results, he always starts his talk with. Um, the, the latest, whatever the winning Rube Goldberg experiment is, and puts that up, and then a coconut. 
and he says this is the coconut is the most complicated thing in like the chimpanzee world like this is like the causal thing that they cannot figure out whereas we deal with these causal systems that are incredibly complicated and he chooses Rube Goldberg to say the beauty of these is that you can you can with your naive physics understand all this stuff but that's like the teeniest tiniest crazy causal system that we have to deal with as humans we're constantly faced with the causal systems that we just don't have the ability to understand but other people do um, and I think the, the interesting thing, the reason why I think this relates to fiery stuff is that it might not just be for complicated causal systems. It might be for elaborate social reward structures, elaborate sets of goals and behaviors that you want to link together, but you yourself haven't done yet. Um, and I think it'd be really neat to look on mass at those kinds of cases and ask the question, um, do these kinds of low-level mechanisms work in all these cases? And they, do they ultimately derive the kinds of smart answers you're talking about? Have you seen that, that YouTube video that went viral a year or two ago of a little baby, I don't know how old, holding a magazine, like an old-fashioned magazine, and going like this to try to make the picture bigger? <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they I have mean, to learn, you know. <laughs> the other thing that you get out of this is 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 the power of your social input. Um, I mean, one of the things that you're faced with if you hang out with toddlers who have access to iPads is just how incredibly reinforcing these structures are. And I think part of it is that they're, they're reinforcing in part for the kind of reason Fire was talking about, that you're getting incredible social input that this is a reinforcing thing. They see their parents and caregivers around these objects interacting with them in a way that this is the more important thing than any food or anything. They're like the rats that were getting the cocaine <laughs> or the rats that are getting the iPad. Um, but the, the key is that the kids don't have to do that themselves. The inputs we're providing are getting sucked in in these rich ways. and. Um, to some interesting issues. Dash. Yeah, just a quick follow-up. Yeah. So it seemed like the answer you were giving to Nicholas' question was something like, what we really want to do is understand the causal structure of some objects. But luckily, there are people around who already know it. We're just kind of using them as a means yep. to this other test. But I wonder if there's any evidence for that view as opposed to another possible view that it's not really as crucially important for us to get the right answer about the causal structure of this object. Mm. It's just to get along with other people. <laughs> and so what we're really concerned with is not... Um, using other people as a means to, under, to correctly understand the causal structure of this object, yeah. but interacting with other people and, and working with other people in certain ways. And even if we get the causal structure of the object wrong, if we connect up with other people by doing it the same way they do, we're right. better off. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we make really strong cooperators, even if we don't understand how like the blocks work, we still don't get like attacked or you know right, shunned so, or whatever. So yeah. Suppose yeah. I can have the option of getting it right, yeah. but everyone thinks I'm a weirdo, or getting it wrong, but everyone thinks I'm good. Maybe I'd be better off. Getting yeah. The wrong answer. Yeah. Well, the question is why it has to go with the wrong answer, though, right? So you could imagine a whole set of mechanisms of conformity that didn't go with the you know, competence plus comprehension plus comprehension extra part, right? You could imagine a whole case of conformity that um, was of the form, wow, like Josh is such a weirdo when he's opening the thing that way. I'll open it that way in front of Josh so he won't hate me. But as soon as Josh leaves, like that's it, because I know the fast way to do this. I just won't. I just won't test the waters of being a jerk in terms of my conformity. But that doesn't seem what, to be what kids are doing. So the, the fact that the, their causal analysis goes along with that suggests that it's not just about relating or seeming similar or setting up your in-group because we all do it the same way. The fact is that what goes along with it is a rich causal analysis that goes beyond what you might think just if we were trying to get along. I mean, maybe that might come along for the ride and so on, but I think we need an extra thing to explain why that part comes to. Um, and, and I think that's the nice thing about uh, some of these studies is that they've kind of controlled for that possibility. And the way Derek did it was really elegant. So the child comes in and they, they learn this task, they see the experimenter do things, and Derek, who's the experimenter, convinces the child that the experiment is totally over. 
So the child's like, oh, the experiment's over, kid gets their prize, everything's fine. And then Derek convinces the child that some emergency has happened. The emergency is there's a new child there, but they, we all forgot to check if the object was back in the thing. So somebody needs to open the object as quickly as possible while Derek leaves, and nobody's going to watch, but it's got to be incredibly fast. Nobody's going to watch you, and like it's very, very urgent. And Derek runs out of the room. And what you see is not that the child drops doing the stupid thing. They just do it really fast and really <laughs> urgently. And um, so it, it doesn't seem yeah, like it's true. about just relating. It seems like it's really changing their comprehension. And I'm not sure why you get that part, too, if it's just about the relating. That's <laughs> so clever. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I'm live.